following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's open your Bibles to the book of Philemon. If you are joining us this week and not here last week, we started last week working through the text. It's on page 1,000. As John said in those Bibles that are underneath the seats, maybe that's a little more clear. We're going to read the entire book. Don't worry, it's only 25 verses, and we'll start together. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would open your word to us. Make it very clear what you are saying. May you work through the foolishness of preaching to proclaim your glories. And may Jesus Christ be preached so that your kingdom would go forth. We ask this morning that you would not let us have stony hearts or those that are choked out with the cares of this world, but I pray now for these people that are listening right now that you would give them hearts that are open and fertile and ready to receive your word. I pray the same thing for my heart, that you would penetrate this heart and work your, your goodness in us. Work your righteousness in us. May your spirit come and convict and give us repentance and hearts of faith to believe. We thank you for your word, which teaches us, and we pray that it would go forward today unhindered and ready to do its work. Holy Spirit, would you use it to the growth of the kingdom? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We began last week uh, with an illustration of, from the World War II era. If you weren't here, I'll kind of just briefly sum it up. It went something like this. There was a story of a woman who had uh, harbored Jews and others who were persecuted in the Third Reich under Hitler's Germany. She had placed uh, several of them within her home, and other, her family was involved in all this kind of stuff. And eventually, they were found out as a family and sent to concentration camps. Over the time, her father died, her sister died, and she narrowly escapes death by being pulled out some due to some clerical error. And later on, a few, you know, as time went by, she meets a man who was a former prison guard at one of these concentration camps. And he has been gloriously saved by Jesus Christ. He's been changed. And he realizes what he has done and the, the evil that he has inflicted on others. And he asks her for her forgiveness. And we realize that this type of a scenario where this person deserves nothing, they definitely don't deserve forgiveness, is exactly where we find ourselves in Philemon. We realize that Philemon is in a similar situation in that he had been wronged by another person. He, was been, he had been asked for forgiveness and he had been mistreated to his own detriment, to his own loss. Uh, he had been mistreated, and we know that like many others that are here in the story of what I just talked about, Philemon was being asked to reconcile with a brother who did not deserve it. He had done nothing to merit this forgiveness, but rather he was being asked to do something that the person asking forgiveness did not deserve. This is now the second sermon, like I said, in a two-part series. We began last week. We said there's about 12, there's 12 characters in this text. Three of them are really important for us to understand the whole. Last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul, and we understood who he was. Today, we're going to move on to understanding Onesimus and understanding Philemon. We need to learn from them. We have learned from the Apostle Paul, and I'll go over that a little bit, but we're going to go and delve in today on those. So the agenda for today, if you're, if you're, if you're a note-taking type person, first, we're going to kind of recap the story. Last time we went into full detail, we're going to just kind of do a recap for you of what's going on in the story. Second, we will look at Onesimus specifically and what we must, as believers, learn from him. Third, we're going to look at Philemon. We're going to learn what we can from him as well. What must we learn from his life, and especially from this book? And then fourth, this morning, we will join together in celebrating the Lord's Supper. Um, communion. A wonderful command given to us by our Savior, a command predicated, by the way, on forgiveness and unity in the body a command for unity and remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we'll do those four things. Um, let's get started. So we'll start with a recap of the story. This is what's going on in this story. Why does this, why does this story get into the canon? Why does it exist? This is what's going on. Last week, again, we walked through and understood the whole thing verse by verse and understood it that way. I'm going to just do an overview. Paul is writing a letter, this is a letter, to Philemon. Philemon is a man who has proven himself to be a wonderful fellow laborer or fellow worker. You'll see that right in verse 1. He is a Christian. He is writing to Philemon about a man named Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave or a bondservant, the text calls it, that belongs to Philemon. So we got Philemon as the master. You have Onesimus who's the slave, the runaway slave. We know that something bad has happened, and that is it separated Onesimus and Philemon. We're not exactly sure what that is, but we do know that separation was not a good thing. There's a problem here. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way, and then he flees. He fled away. 
We also know that Onesimus hurt his master financially somehow, whether it's simply by the fact that he had lost his labor force, he wasn't there, he couldn't work, so we have a financial loss in that way, or potentially he could have stolen something, whether it's food or money or goods or some sort of resource. We're not sure exactly what it was, but Paul, Paul notes that some can, there's a debtor in this. He has done something to make him uh, in debt to his master. And something's happened. Along the way, Onesimus comes across Paul's path. We also know that this is a letter from Rome when Paul is in jail. He is imprisoned. This is one of the four prison epistles that we talked about. Onesimus was once an unbeliever, but after he meets Paul, something happens to him. Paul describes himself there, then in the verses, as his father. He says that he is my child, uh, a very common way for Paul to refer to his converts. And he says then that Onesimus was transformed into a servant of the gospel. Um, he talks about him being a beloved brother, and further, even a slave in the Lord. In short, he's a Christian. Onesimus has been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and his life has been changed. But Paul recognizes that there's a problem still. A problem still exists between them. And therein lies why we're even reading this book. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this, and everything would have happened behind the scenes, and we wouldn't have this book at all. This letter happens because there's still tension between the two men. There's obviously still tension. Onesimus has wrongfully left his owner at some personal cost to Philemon. And further, there is both physical and spiritual separation between these two Christian brothers. That's the important piece now. We talked about this a lot last time. Onesimus changed his status. Well, Jesus Christ changed his status from an unbeliever to a believer, and now they are co-heirs with Christ and brothers before Jesus Christ. And that changes everything because now there's separation in the body of Christ that is supposed to be in unity. There's supposed to be oneness in the body of Christ. So Paul, knowing there's a breach in this relationship, chooses to get involved and do something we would probably consider crazy and harsh. He sends the runaway slave back to his master with this letter. But he sends the runaway slave who's in the wrong back to his master. you got to remember, this is Rome. Their law says they can punish them up to the nth degree, which means killing them. This is what Paul sent him back into, knowing that this could happen, but also knowing that he's a believer and they're fellow heirs with Christ, and he's got to rely on this to be true. So lastly, again, we saw these letters that, that what, what's happening is Paul, we, it represents Paul's willingness and his actual conviction to be a peacemaker in this situation. Paul steps into the situation without Onesimus starting it or, or Philemon starting He steps into the peacemaker and says, this can't continue this way. You guys must be reconciled to one another. This is not in line with the gospel. It's not okay to be this way. Again, at great personal risk, Paul shows he's willing to get his hands dirty. It's so dirty that he's willing to put up his own money, his own time, himself on the line for the debt that Onesimus owes. We talked about this. We looked down, in, especially in verse 18, you'll see that. But even if you go on further, he even goes to the point of that he will come back in and he will check on Philemon. Remember that he talked about, prepare a room, I'm coming to visit you. Basically, I'm a really good accountability partner. I'm going to come and we're going to talk about this because we want to make sure that you understand what's happening and that you did the right thing according to the gospel. Again, what we really spent time on last week was what was the foundation of why he would do that was this. The thing that ties Philemon together, the thing that is the theme through the whole is this. The gospel demands true forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me say it again. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, reconciling God and man, demands then for the believer, and you can take this even further out, it demands true forgiveness and reconciliation. And Paul is committed to that. So much so that he puts himself on the line here and says, I'm willing here, and I will come visit you because you need to do this. This is the right thing to do. It is in accordance then with the gospel. And this is why Paul's writing again to Philemon. As readers, we get a, a little bit of a different advantage. Not better, necessarily. We have a different one because we can step back and see these three characters as it plays out. And we get to see the whole of Scripture and kind of see what they represent and how we see even bigger picture again that Paul is representing someone that's much larger than himself. He's pointing to the great peacemaker, the one who came between God and man, the mediator, the man and the sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself. And Paul does this. He is showing us what it means to be like Christ. As we are made into the images of his dear son, image of his dear son, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's living out right now, being that peacemaker, because he is committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is in accordance with the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, true forgiveness and reconciliation is demanded by the gospel. So last week we took a look at Paul. Again, an agent of forgiveness and reconciliation. Today we want to look at two of the other characters here. They're important for us, and again, we get the little advantage of seeing them in the larger picture of Scripture. We've seen other things play out. We've read the Pentateuch, the prophets, all the way through. We've heard Jesus' words. Now we hear them, and we get to see how it fits together. As far as characters go, number one, we'll start with Onesimus. Onesimus is the reason for this letter to be written, right? He has fled from his master. He is a slave. He has no rights as a slave. He is owned. In verse 18, we find out that he was a debtor. I already talked about that. He is a debtor to his master. For Onesimus, because he cannot make peace on his own. He has no way to make peace on his own. He needs Paul to step in and do this. Further, Onesimus has wronged his master. Whether it's just leaving and taking himself away from the situation where his master owned him. Or potentially actually wronged him in other ways financially. Onesimus also deserves punishment. This is the man that we meet. Paul's writing, because Onesimus needs forgiveness, he needs to be reconciled to his master. So the question for us to consider then is pretty straightforward. What can we learn from this man? As we look at the whole of Scripture, what does Onesimus teach us? There are two things that I think we need to walk away from this book learning, about, from Onesimus specifically. We'll talk about Philemon in a minute. Onesimus teaches us two things, though. Number one, you either, today, you either are or you were Onesimus. Think about that. You either are still or you were Onesimus. He represents you. He represents me. We know that all men are slaves to sin. Paul talks about it in Romans 6. You are a slave to sin. You are bound up and living in bondage. No freedom under control of our master, sin. Further, we have no rights before God. Think about all the different things here. Onesimus had no rights. We have no rights. Not only do, the, you know, no matter how far we run away and try to be a, a person of a different kingdom, like Onesimus, we still belong to one over here. One is still our master over here. We cannot run away. We have no rights, and as slaves, we do whatever sin commanded us to do. Paul further points out, if you go to Romans 8, you know this, he calls us debtors. 
We are debtors, just like Onesimus. We owed a great debt to our master that we could not pay. Onesimus has no money. He has no way of paying back the things that Philemon deserves. He deserves them all, and yet he cannot pay them back. We are just like him, and not only we are just like him, it's actually infinitely more, right? He's talking about, I mean, it's probably quantifiable what he owed to Philemon, whether his time and probably some money, he probably could have quantified it. Think about us, though, as we are Onesimus. We owe a great deal more to the Father of the debt of sin that we owe, the righteousness that we were supposed to live up to. Instead, we are a great debtor like Onesimus. The Creator demands perfection, which we cannot deliver. The Creator demands that we have righteousness, perfection owed to God for our offenses, and we cannot pay it. This brings up a similarity also that we have wronged the master. Like Onesimus, we have wronged him. Besides running away, we don't know other things that he did necessarily. But we do know that he offended the master. He sinned against Philemon. We also know that, friends, that even if we have sinned only one time, one time in our whole life, that we have still committed treason against the God of the universe, the one who has been who is perfect and has made us to shine back his glory. We know, and I perceive that I'm not the only one in this room, that's not what I'm worried about, remembering the one sin that I did. I'm like more worried about not keeping a tally of my daily sins and constant offending of God. And so I know very clearly that I have wronged him. And you sit here today, I know there's two types of people here. Ones that know very clearly that they have sinned against God. And then there's others of you that are not that sure. You're not sure that much if, if you've sinned against God. And you're like, oh, it's not that bad. It can't be that bad. If you need a chapter and verse, let me go back to Paul again in Romans. All have sinned. That means all of us here. That means all of us across the entire world. That means all of us in the past. That means all in the future. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means before him, we have no place to stand. And we have wronged him. This leads us to thinking about the reason then that the letter was written. We could not, just like Onesimus, we could not make peace on our own. We could not come to God and offer enough stuff or say the right things or not have the right language or draw up the right contract or do anything that would make peace between us and God. We needed someone to intervene. He needed Paul to intervene to bring him back together with his master. And like Paul... That is what we need. We need someone like Paul that is able to take us to the Father and actually intervene for us. We need someone who could plead our case to the righteous creator. In our story, Onesimus here had nothing to bring to the table for negotiation. He had nothing that he could do to, bring, to, to actually persuade him. Paul had to step in and appeal for Onesimus. We likewise needed a great high priest, one who could go before the Father and approach the throne and plead for sinners. We're Onesimus. We can't make peace on our own. We're also like Onesimus in that we had parted from the master. We, we, in our father Adam and in our own life, we've been sinning from the beginning, running away like the prodigal son, uh, my life of, of sin and ultimate enslavement that brought nothing but displeasure and slavery. Like Onesimus, we ran away. We deserve punishment. We know for the wages of sin is death. We all, 
Paul's just popping it out more and more here. The wages of sin is death. We deserve, just like Onesimus, we deserve punishment. We deserve separation for eternity. And we know the payment must be, na- must be made to the righteous judge, God. What's that payment? Death. Blood. A life. That is what he requires for sin. Again, even if it's one sin, it doesn't matter, which is not even our case. He requires payment to be made, and we deserve punishment. Lastly, it should go without saying, but like Onesimus, we need forgiveness and reconciliation, just like he did. We could not stand before a holy God, and we needed to be reconciled to the Father. Reading Philemon clearly shows us our desperate position as rebellious, destitute, runaway slaves before God. So just if you forgot, Onesimus reminds us that we are him. Before Christ, without Christ, we are totally like him, needing all of these things. Enslaved, in bondage, no freedom, and heading for death and destruction. But there's a second thing that we need to learn from Onesimus. The second thing here is that is actually the, the turn side of this coin because of Christ. There is hope for sinners. This is why the good news is the good news. Because of all that Onesimus is, all that we are, there is hope for sinners. Onesimus was formerly useless, but now he says, Paul says that he is useful. You know why? Because he has been changed from darkness to light. He has gone from the kingdom of, of darkness to the kingdom of light in Jesus Christ. He has changed statuses. He is different now. And so in this letter, we see Onesimus saved to a new life in Christ. And because of that, there's a basis for hope that he will soon be forgiven and reconciled even physically to his master Philemon because he is also a believer and is consistent with his position in Christ. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, there is hope for sinners. One has come to plead our case but we could not. And he offered himself up to pay the debt that we rightfully owe. Every bit of it. Like we see Paul stating in verse 9, it was for love's sake that God offered his perfect and righteous and holy son for your sin. For my sin. Let that sit for a moment, recognizing that he, for love's sake, has sacrificed his son for your soul. Praise God. That's who he is. We have hope, and there is hope in God alone. And friend, if you are here today and do not know and do not trust Jesus Christ with your life, may I appeal to you for love's sake as well, and say that you need to hope in God alone. Nothing that you can do will stand before him at the judgment. Nothing that you did, the good things that you did, it won't help you. There's only one that can pay the price. Only one. It's Jesus Christ alone. And it is on us then, as we hear the words to say, I must submit and obey and put my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone if I ever want to escape this. Otherwise, You will pay the debt. You will pay the debt, but you will not like to pay the debt. Eternal separation from him. There are things that we learn from Onesimus again. The first is that we are him, but again that there is hope in Jesus Christ. So I plead with you and appeal to you for love's sake, turn to Christ if you have not. And believer, by the way, if you have turned to him, 
continue to turn to him, continue to repent and find our, 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 our joy and our hope in the one that gives hope alone. He is the one that can pay the debt and has paid it for us eternally because of his work on the cross. So we looked at Onesimus. Let's turn to Philemon. Philemon, what do we learn from him? We learn that Philemon is a Christian, doing the right things, known for his good works of love and faith, known for refreshing the hearts of the saints. He has been wronged by his slave Onesimus and deserves to receive some sort of compensation, really. That's his position, right? But what can we learn from him as a character? As Paul's talking to him, what can we learn from him? Well, if you follow me through Onesimus, you might have an idea of where I'm going with this. Like Onesimus, um, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are Philemon. Not in the sense that, what should we learn? We should be refreshing hearts in Christ. Yes, or this or that, and his characteristics. Surely, you are in the same position. What I mean by this is the letter that Paul is writing to Philemon, take it for a minute and realize that the Holy Spirit is writing this letter to you. He is saying, this is on you to welcome back other believers, to receive them, to reconcile and forgive them. It's us. We are the recipient of this letter. We may not have the same situation as him, but we have lots of people who have offended us. Several who probably have sinned against us. And by the way, several of them who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is a letter to us, Cornerstone. This is a letter for us to listen to and respond to. We are Christians, fellow workers with God, right, in the gospel. We are demonstrating faith and love to the saints and to God, just like Philemon. We often are in the right position, and other brothers and sisters really do wrong us at times. According to Scripture, we are right. We are in the right oftentimes. And like Philemon, we have been asked to receive and welcome back and forgive our brothers because of the gospel and for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ. We are, we've also been asked to forgive debts, I'm not talking just monetary debts, but this situation, I think I need to pull back out and see, explain a little bit more. Paul certainly does, if you remember this, he, he offers up himself to be the one who pays the debt. But then he writes verse 19 and 20, right? He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is saying pretty clearly that if the debt that Onesimus owes you is a big deal, Philemon, i.e. you won't forgive him, then charge it to my account. That's fine. Further, though, that's not the end of the conversation. If you remember correctly, you owe me your life. I was the one who introduced you to Jesus Christ, and you went from darkness to light, and you owe me your life. And so what I'm telling you is, if you can't forgive him yourself, you owe me one, and you need to forgive him this debt. If you can't forgive him yourself, then you owe me one, and I'm cashing in right now for another and saying, you need to forgive this brother. It is consistent with the gospel. For you and me, again, we are called to forgive debts as well. That may be money and finances. That may be time. That may be your own emotional resources and just inconvenience with people. I don't know what it is, but you are called to forgive those debts as well because of the gospel and because of Jesus Christ. He's here to remind us and remind us well that we are asked to be sacrificial in our forgiveness. We are also like Philemon in that we are often in the right. Right? We're, 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 you're all here today faithfully fellowshiping with, the, fellowshiping with the saints, loving others. And oftentimes, this leads us to think that since we are in the right, 
we want other things to turn out justly or in the right as well. Um, we want others to turn out justly and for all that are involved, we want equal scales. We really want things to be fair. And if people make that bad decisions, we want them to feel the consequences. That's just the way the world works, right? We don't desire to suffer for someone else's sin or endure their consequences. That's not just. So we really kind of want them to pay. We kind of want them to feel the consequences of their sin. This is just justice, isn't it? Let me remind you that this attitude is not new. We are like Jonah, who desired that Nineveh be destroyed for her wickedness and then was angry when God showed mercy at their repentance. We are like the older brother and the prodigal son, who was angry when his brother, his younger brother, came back and squandered all the resources on wicked living and came back to a grand feast because of his repentance. While he worked the day in, day out, back on the ranch, doing all the right stuff and never once received a party from his dad, and is angry. Like John talked about, you're like the unforgiving servant who's been forgiven much. Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And it's all right, you don't have to follow along, but I think that you need to go back and read this again and think about this. Listen along. Matthew 18, was starting in 21 to the end of the chapter. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive, I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, his master, the master of that servant, released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master all the things that had taken place. Then, the master, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because of the, you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We have been forgiven an infinite debt that we could not pay. And yet we cannot forgive our brothers for temporary stupid things that don't matter long-term money, time, resources. We have been forgiven something much more ultimate. Like Philemon, lastly then, we, in just explaining who we are, like Philemon, we are asked then to forgive and reconcile with our brothers in Christ for the sake of unity. I told you at the beginning of the, the story last week and kind of recapped it today about this woman. Some of you may have recognized this woman as Corey Tenbu. The story is larger and doesn't end there. I didn't tell you the end here. After she had been accidentally released from the concentration camp, she found herself in Berlin face-to-face -face with this guard 
a guard from the concentration camp at Ravensbrück. As she stood before the prison guard and she was asked for her forgiveness, she was captured with her own bitterness and anger and sense of personal justice. Corey had been abused. Her father died. Her sister died. She had just narrowly escaped. How could she possibly forgive this man? And she thought, no, I cannot. But as she considered what Jesus had done for her, in his words concerning forgiveness in Matthew chapter 6, she could not deny him. Matthew 6, 14 says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. She knew that the gospel demanded forgiveness and reconciliation. And so, at the end, she obeyed. And she knew she had to do it because the gospel demands true forgiveness and reconciliation. And she was gloriously saved by that gospel and knew that she must offer it to others. Not because of fear of retaliation, not because it gained her anything, not because she was being coerced. Corey, like Paul, realized that the gospel demanded true forgiveness and reconciliation. And so she welcomed him back and forgave him of his countless atrocities and sin. It is this type of forgiveness for fellow Christians that we are specifically called to today. If there are issues that separate us, this can't continue. If there are things of other believers that are keeping you a breach between your relationship, it must stop. It's sin. And forgiveness must be offered if we are to live consistent with the gospel. I mentioned it earlier, but in just a few minutes, we will be taking part in the Lord's table today together in the back here. Um, we do this out of love and obedience. Jesus says in reference to the bread and wine, this is my body which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he goes on to say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And this event that we are going to take part in right now, this simple event, is a proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes again. And so we take part in communion together as we respond in obedience. But, you just heard all this, we also do this because we believe that this is consistent with the message of Philemon. We cannot have communion as one body today if there is strife between brothers and sisters, if we have not forgiven one another the small debts that we may owe. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul explains that the Lord's table shouldn't be a place where there's division, but rather where there is unity under our head, Jesus Christ. So if you're uncomfortable because of sin, which one of you have with your brothers or sisters, may I suggest that you consider what Paul exhorts Philemon to do and forgive them this morning? If there's something between you and another believer and you need to work it out, I will, you text them and say, we need to get together and we need to talk about this and you need to deal with it as brothers in Christ. If there's a breach in your relationship, it's wrong, it's sinful and it needs to be forgiven. Today we celebrate the Lord's table, and so we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment, the musicians will come, and we will sing together. Let me give you a few instructions as they come. Let's do that together. This is what's going to happen for us today. We're going to sing together, Jesus, Messiah. After we're done, I'm going to dismiss you back to the tables. There's two tables in the back there. You can look at them if you want to. There will be two um, people at each one handing out the elements. As soon as I dismiss you, Let's all get up together as one body. We'll form two lines at each table. So I know there's a lot of instructions, and I'm sorry, but two lines at each table. 
You will go through, they will offer you the elements, take the, partake in the elements, curl back to the seats. When we come back to the seats, take some time with whether it's your spouse or a friend or someone that's just around you and pray that we would have forgiveness and that we would be unified because of the work of Jesus Christ together. After we do that, we'll sing a song together and we'll be done. So again, we'll sing together now. Uh, I'll pray, we'll sing, we'll go back to the tables, um, and then we will come back, pray, sing, and we'll be done. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this time and your word. We thank you so much for your goodness to us, especially, Lord, in our forgiveness today. We realize that you have reconciled God and man. Thank you, Jesus, for being our great peacemaker. We ask that you would help us to be peacemakers, agents of reconciliation and forgiveness, and that we would forgive our brothers. We love you in Jesus' name.